In the news today from Ukraine, uh, many are saying that uh, President Zelensky's decision to replace his top military commander is likely to be an unpopular move and represents a huge gamble. And the outgoing military commander has said that he thinks the war is at a stalemate right now. Let's uh, go to Joseph Lindsley in Ukraine and get more. Joe, good afternoon to you there. Bob, good afternoon from Snowy Kiev, and yeah, two big news items. Uh, Tucker Carlson's interview with Vladimir Putin uh, last night, uh, which as I watched it at one o'clock in the morning here, it was for me, uh, it was akin to having a halftime interview during a school shooting, uh, being able to talk to the perpetrator of, uh, of uh, you know, horrible war on a free country uh, during the war. Uh, pretty shocking. And meanwhile, uh, hours before that, indeed, we had the news that President Zelensky had replaced General Zeluzhny with Oleksandr Sirsky as commander-in-chief of Ukraine, Ukraine's armed forces. And, you know, when that news broke, uh, I, was, I had spent the past two days at a uh, secret conference called the Kyiv International Cyber Resilience Forum. Uh, it was three stories underground, uh, you know, because of the threat. You know, whenever people gather, uh, especially to work for victory, uh, you do become a target. Uh, of the Russians and in attendance were Ukrainians uh, and foreigners alike, civilians and soldiers. And when the news broke, uh, just as the conference was ending, of uh, the change, uh, you know, that 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 Oleksandr Sirsky would be replacing the much beloved uh, General Zeluzhny, uh, I was struck by how calm everyone was. Everyone was, you know, looking at their phones, receiving the news. Uh, there were no cries of anger or despair. Uh, people were calm and still carrying on. With their conversations about, you know, how, you know, there's a lot of IT people and people working on cyber security and cyber resilience, uh, developing technology that could benefit not only Ukraine, but also the world uh, sort of in this prism of, you know, ex- of, a, of an existential fight. And so I was, I was struck by how calm everyone was. And, it, you know, when you read the press accounts you would th- and you, you look at Twitter, uh, you would think that, you know, sort of pandemonium here, uh, but that really was not the case. Uh, and I think part of it was the way that this announcement was made, uh, you know, two weeks ago when the idea was first sort of floated that Zeluzny would be dismissed. Uh, the, you know, there was a lot of anger. People had time to sort of think about it. Zeluzny is much, you know, has been a much beloved figure. Uh, but, uh, you know, President Zelensky said it was time to make a change. And even in doing so, uh, he still praised Zeluzny. And it seems that he offered him the position of ambassador uh, from Ukraine to the court of St. James, to the United Kingdom. Uh, it doesn't seem that Zeluzhny, uh will accept that. But, but there, you know, one of the contentions is that uh, Zelensky got rid of Zeluzhny because he saw him as a political threat. Uh, but actually, you know, now Zeluzhny, you know, as a former commander, uh, would have much more ability uh, to, to be involved in politics. Uh, and, even, and even so, Zelensky still wanted to keep him uh, in the orbit of power. And, you know, some... It, <laughs> One of the interesting things here, and it's helpful because I had this perspective meeting with some very intelligent people at that cyber resilience conference, uh, people from the UK and the US and all over the world. The, you know, if you look at on X, on Twitter, there, I've noticed for a long time there are accounts that seem to be in favor of Ukraine, uh, but I've long not trusted them. There's always something very subtle. Uh, they'll, they'll, you know, on a regular basis, they'll praise uh, Ukraine. 
But then the moments like this, the moments of, you know, high, really high level of sensitivity, they go against Ukraine and they try to uh, sow discord. And I've seen exactly that uh, with the post today about uh, Alexander Sirsky, you know, the, so the Ukraine's new commander in chief. He was born in Russia. His parents are still in Russia. Uh, and, and to the outside, that might sound ridiculous. But, you know, for me, I've spent a lot of time in eastern and southern Ukraine. Uh, in places like Nikopol or Kharkiv or Dnipro, where almost every single person, including Ukrainian heroes and warriors, they have relatives in Russia. Uh, this is normal, especially because during Soviet times, there were a lot of deportations. Uh, you know, this country was governed by Moscow. Uh, and so there are, you know, plenty of people that have strong family connections across the border, including parents. And one of the sad things is, is a lot of them can't talk to their family in Russia anymore. I mean, they can. They can call them up. But they're so... Believe so much believing uh, Putin's propaganda, uh, and, and so. But I, so this is not something unusual, and so it's not. It's not even a surprise that uh, Ukraine's commander in chief, you know, has parents in Russia, uh, and no matter what they say, that doesn't reflect on on who he is. And this, uh, the new commander, uh, he is widely seen as the architect of the victorious battle of Kiev, when uh, you know early in the full scale invasion. Uh, when Ukrainians repelled the Russians, which, by the way, in that Tucker Carlson interview with Putin last night, Putin claimed that he benevolent, benevolently pulled away from Kiev. Uh, no, that was we have, you know, clear, the world saw what happened. And a lot of that was due uh, to General Sirsky and his troops at that time and the citizens of Kiev uh, keeping the Russians away. Uh, and I think we we also heard stories that uh, Sirsky, uh, you know, that he in fact, the Financial Times uh, you know, respectable publication, Christopher Miller, longtime observer of Ukraine. On uh, the Financial Times story, uh, says that, you know, there's questions about General Sersky because of his costly defense of Bakhmut. And I just assume that that's the way we have to talk about Bakhmut. Uh, but at, at the very least, you have to consider the other side of it. You know, because of the battle, the very long battle of Bakhmut, uh, the, you know, we used to talk about the Wagner Group. When do we talk about the Wagner Group? It's gone. It's decimated. Uh, and that happened at the Battle of Bakhmut. And yeah, it was costly uh, for Ukrainians, but it doesn't, you know, you, you at least have to look at the other side of it. Uh, you know, was it worth the strategic value? And I do think anytime we see that there are fatalities, you know, in, in, in war and in fighting, uh, you know, the, uh, someone gets blamed, but you, you can't get to victory unless you go through those moments. And so that's just some more of the context of what's, of, of who General Sersky is. Uh, when I talk with people, senior people in the military, not only people from yesterday, but people I know well, uh, they you know they say, okay, this is time for the we, you know, we have to make some changes. Uh, you know, the, the military has to be controlled by civilians. Uh, that is what a democracy does, and uh, and so the, the, there's a calm sense of focus here, and people continue to go about their work. Joe, what do you think would happen if you requested an interview with Putin? <laughs> oh, I, I want it. Uh, request an interview with him. Uh, I can't even imagine going to Moscow, and they probably poisoned me the moment I arrived. Uh, and you know, but but it was actually one of uh, Bob. One of the most revealing things about Tucker's meeting with Putin. Well, first, the first thirty minutes, Tucker seemed quite bored because Putin, he's a dictator. No one tells him when to shut up. Uh, <laughs> not even a former Fox News host. And uh, and he just went rambling about uh, what what he said was the history uh, of Kiev and. You know, the Kievan Rus uh, were the ancient people. It was an empire founded around 988, uh, the Christianization of the Kievan Rus. 
And Putin was, is claiming uh, this ancient heritage. And it's interesting that he, when he, like in his, Putin's 30 minutes of talking at the beginning of that interview, he said nothing to define what Russia is today. He didn't even speak about Moscow. He spoke about Kiev. Like, this is my precious, this thing that he so desperately wants. And he could not offer, in those entire two hours, a positive definition of what Russia is. Uh, and I, neither did Tucker Carlson press him on it. Uh, and by the way, you know, the Rus people came from Sweden. Uh, the Finns still refer to Sweden as Rotsi. So if anyone has claim to that title, Rus or Russia, it would be the Swedes. But it's so interesting that, you know, this is how Putin justifies his daily attacks upon Ukraine because of some history from 988. And then the other thing he said when he, uh, he didn't mention the fact, but when he was in the KGB, uh, Putin uh, described being in Western Ukraine in the 1980s. And he said there were no signs in Ukrainian. Well, of course not, because it was illegal. <laughs> there were signs in Hungarian and Russian. Uh, and so, you know, the, the Moscow for so long has tried to erase the idea of Ukraine. That's exactly what Putin was doing yesterday. And the fact is, you know, Ukrainians, they showed it in 2014, but they show it every single day now. They don't, they don't want to be part of Russia, and not even for cultural reasons. You know, like General Sersky was born in Russia. So many Russian speakers here. For them, for, it's, not, it's about being free. It's about not living in a society where your whole country is determined on the whims of one person. Uh, that's in total opposite here in Ukraine. Uh, and so all, all of that was missed. And I think, the, you know, the, the, the tricky thing here is that, you know, P and Putin knows this, and he, he knew, did this very well yesterday with Tucker. Like, he knows a lot of people are dis uh, uh, disaffected by those in power in the West uh, and not happy with Brussels or the White House and all of this. And you know what? Ukrainians don't agree with a lot of that stuff either. They don't like bureaucracy. Uh, they want to be free. And so that's why Putin erases the idea of Ukraine. But he's, he tries to convince people like Tucker to take their anger uh, and distrust of government that got us into 20 years of war and, and to say that he's on their side when exactly he's a, you know, sort of part, of part of that same machine. Uh, and we'll see if Tucker falls prey to that or maybe we'll have an awakening. Uh, mm. but, but it was so clear to me, Bob, in that interview that, you know, that, Russia is the epitome of tyranny, and Ukraine, from what I especially saw these past couple of days, the epitome of wild freedom, and everyone else is in the middle, in the spectrum, and we get to decide which way we go, toward freedom or to tyranny. Well, it would be a much different interview with Putin if you did it, Joseph, but I don't think you'd get out alive, so um, stay well, safe, can, will you? we do it with a weapon. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk to you on Monday. <laughs> Until Monday. Thanks, Bob.